Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't have any flashy ways to start talking other than to <clears throat> tell you I, I, I heard that in heaven there's a there's a time when Jesus is going to tell the men, if you're the head of the household, line up on this side. And if you are the man and you're not the head of the household, line up on this side. And when everybody had gotten to where they were going to go, the line on this side over here was 150 miles long. And on this side, there was only one guy. And the Lord said, well, I'm really proud of you for sticking up for you know, what you're supposed to do in the body of Christ and being the leader. And I just want to know what is your secret? And he said, I don't know. My wife told me to just come over here. <laughs> and all the wives in the house said, amen. amen. All right. Well, low levity doesn't hurt, right? Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Young and I get to be a part of the sermon series, Joining God, which comes from Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. This has been a seven-part series, or is a seven-part series with next week. Um, in the seat backs in front of you, you'll see one of these two. They're the same thing, but different colored. And <clears throat> this is basically a very uh, topical outline that we're following. And I am speaking on number six. Uh, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God and what he is doing. Uh, previously, as you can see, we've talked about God's work. We've talked about relationship. We've talked about invitation which basically is, Lord, what are you doing and how can I join you? God speaks to us. That was a rich message. All of these are online on our website. You can go listen to them if you want. Um, <clears throat> last week, Neil spoke on uh, crisis in, the, in belief. Um, and we want to define that as also to include opportunity. I'm going to speak about that in a second because this one on adjustment is the second crisis in belief. So that's kind of the launching point. Uh, if you want one of these outlines, this is the study guide for the book. Um, you can order them through our Welcome Center. We did have a discount on them. That discount may be used up. It was a, uh, uh, a donation that somebody made to knock off a few bucks. But uh, this is pretty deep. If you want to go deep, this is the book to have, okay? <clears throat> so... This opportunity piece I want to first launch off into, uh, I, I want you to understand that, um, uh, the, the crisis piece rather, the, I want you to understand we're not talking about a, an emergency type of a description for the word crisis. We're talking about it in a different way in context. If anybody, anybody speak Chinese in here? Anybody fluent in Chinese? Oh good, if I'm wrong you won't know. The, um, the Chinese character for crisis is made up of two different symbols or words, and it's crisis means danger and opportunity. And so what we're talking about today in our second crisis of belief is more than anything else, opportunity. And I hope to unpack this with the Lord's help, if I can stay out of his way, to bring us to the point, as you see, adjustment towards obedience. We're walking towards this, this plan that God has for us, and it's not for us, it's 
his plan with us. He wants us to join him. He wants us to be a part of his plan for what he has in store. And we get to participate. But the problem is, the issue is, in a lot of ways that we get it wrong is, we think God is going to do it according to our plan, when all the time, it's we have, you know, we have to understand we are going to get in line with his plan. And his invitation is complete when we agree with that. So this morning's message is basically, how do we do that? How do we accomplish what we're doing going forward? How do we become part of God's plan and recognize and experience the greatness, the goodness, and the presence of God through this, through this journey, if you will. So let's talk about this in terms of adjustment is change. I'm going to say this a couple times, that adjustments in life are decisions with pre, which precedes change. Adjustments in life are decisions we make that precede change. Has anybody here ever experienced changes? I don't see any hands up. Oh, there's a few. There's a couple. Okay, a few more. Well, the rest of you must lead really boring lives. Changes in our lives are going to happen. Okay, now they happen because of us and sometimes in spite of us. There are changes that we experience according to the world and there are changes that we experience according to God's will for our life. And sometimes we just don't know the difference. Sometimes nobody showed us the difference. Sometimes we've never read the difference. And we're going to talk about God's North Star here in a couple minutes. So we've made these adjustments, whether we knew what we were doing or not, whether we were aware that God was involved or not, the difference would be for us as members of the body of Christ, are we making these changes according to our agenda or are we making these changes according to God's agenda? The world would say that all of us have our own agenda. Environment versus heredity. Nature versus nurture. And you all, if you're in America and you've been here for very long at all, and especially on social media, you've probably come away with this idea that it's all about me. If you point your fingers at yourself and say, it's all about me, I would say you're an American. And that may be true other, other places too. I've never lived in any other place for any length of time. But we get this me, myself, and I mentality. And so the choices, the adjustments that we make before change are usually in the context of what's in it for me. How can I get stronger? How can I get richer? How can I get more powerful? How can I be more influential? How can I impress people more? Or more pragmatically, how can I help my family? How can I do this for my children? How can I do this for longevity? How can I have a better car? But it's still about me. How many times do we approach those moments in our life and journey and experience when we're saying, Lord, what would you have me do here? Adjustments are decisions that precede change. So let's explore what that might mean for us as not only children of God, but collectively, we're in the body of Christ. That has some pretty profound implications. First scripture up there, please. Luke 18. A certain ruler 
asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And he says, I'm going to continue to read. Oh yeah, there we go. I'm going to read here from here. All these are NIV, by the way, sorry. I should have announced that sooner. Let me start over. A certain young ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And all these things I have done since I was a boy, the ruler said. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus is giving this gentleman, this young ruler, this individual that has great wealth, an opportunity, an opportunity to change. Adjustments are decisions that precede change. Just imagine, if you will, I don't know what you would have done. I know it would have been a crisis of faith for me if the Son of God stood before me and I can tell him I've not done any of these violations of the Ten Commandments. I've not committed adultery. I've not lied. I've not borne false witness to others. I've honored my father and mother. I'm a good guy. And the Lord would, would say, then sell everything you have and come follow me. I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think I would say okay and do it, but this guy did not. This guy did not. And as far as we know, we never hear from this guy again. But he had a choice. He had an opportunity. He had the very Son of God, Messiah, Yeshua, the guy who came to earth to die for all of us, invite him to follow the Lord. And he said no. He didn't sell his stuff, as far as we know. Conversely, 1 Kings 19, verse 18, when Elijah went to Elisha under the instruction of God, saying, anoint Elisha, he'll be your replacement. And look at what Elisha did. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, there were 20, 24 yoke of oxen, so that's 48 oxen, and he slaughtered them. And he burned the plows and the equipment, all of the farm equipment, and he took the meat, he gave it to the people after he had cooked it, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become a servant. He set out, caught up with Elijah, and became his attendant. Did Elisha answer the call? Did he make an adjustment? Did he make a, a quality decision that preceded a change? Absolutely. And so we see, we see this contrast between one person who had an opportunity from the very Son of God, God himself, in man form, saying, come follow me, but sell your stuff. And Elisha, God didn't even tell Elisha to get rid of his stuff. He did it anyway because he 
knew that was, that was the response. I am making a change. I'm not going to need these oxen anymore. I'm not going to need this farm equipment anymore. I'm getting rid of it. I'm doing away with it. And how best can I do it? I'm going to use that meat and those resources. And I'm going to help the people before I take off. And that's what he did. So the apostles also made the same similar change in Luke 18, 28. It's not up here. Um, but Peter said that we have left all to follow you. He, he was telling Jesus that. Um, so I, I, I wanted you to know that the apostles, if you weren't aware, did that as well. So this far, these are really big examples. These are huge macro examples. And I think a lot of us are afraid that if we're going to become a Christian, God's going to ask this big thing from us. And I don't know, I man, that, you know, come on, that's way, you know, I don't want to go to Africa for the rest of my life, blah, blah, blah. You know, all of us have that concept that God is going to just say, do this. And if we don't do that, then we're in trouble. So I'd rather not be a Christian at all. So I don't have to make that decision and choice and suffer and blah, blah, blah. So we don't do that characteristically unless we understand what God is doing in our life individually because he is an individual God. So making adjustments require change. The change is a prerequisite toward obedience. And obedience is what we're going for here. Not obedience like do this or die. It's do this and join the lavish experience that only God can give. That's what this is about. So I submit that learning, that what we're learning is God offering opportunities to change and a solution that far outpaces anything else in context and contrast. But I submit that these, these changes, these adjustments, and if you've been following the Lord for any length of time at all, you probably know a lot of what I'm talking about. These changes are incremental. They may start very small. Once the big ask, the first crisis of faith comes up, receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Asking, Lord, are you really who you say you are? Are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? When we say yes to that, the first crisis of faith, then the rest should be easy, but they're not. Because as we go, the Lord continues to work with us to get us going in the direction that he would have us go for his good, for the good of the kingdom. It's our choice to join him or not. Free will. He's not going to make you do it. But it's a choice. That's the best choice we could possibly make. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. New life verse for me. We've had it in an earlier sermon series. I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that a decision? Yes, it is. I will live my life by faith. That's a proclamation. I am making a decision that precedes change. That's the adjustment that I made when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the adjustment that I made when I decided God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. It's a quality decision that I will not back off from. To, to do that, I can't imagine. And for me, it's just, I got to stop talking right there. 1 Corinthians 
These are, these are stair steps. These are, these are the, Lord, the Lord in developing this has brought me through some, some steps. Now, I want you to catch on to this if you can, and I believe you will by the Spirit of God's presence. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? That's Isaiah 40, 13. But then Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. That's in the Bible, right? Is that from the, the word of God? Yes. Did Paul the apostle say that? Yes. We have the mind of Christ. Do you believe that? That's a decision. Changes are not a function of emotions. They're a function of your decision. We decide. If I have the mind of Christ, then I can think as Christ thinks. Amen? If I can do that, if I have the mind of Christ, then I have the ability to think as he does. A equals B, B equals C, so A has to equal C for the mathematicians in the group. A similar uh, scripture that I got this morning. Say, no, this is, this is great. In parentheses. So this is Paul. Sadducee of Sadducees. Scholar among scholars. Persecutor of the Christians before the road of Damascus. And he's quoting Isaiah 40, 13. Who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And he, then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, he quotes from Isaiah 64. I think this is why he was so persuasive. He quotes from Isaiah 64, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those, for those who love him. But he adds in verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. That's the difference. He has revealed it to us by his spirit. We have the mind of Christ because of the Spirit of God living inside of us. If he is who he says he is, if he can do what he says he can do, then I have the mind of Christ and he reveals it to us by his Spirit. That's it. There are no argument, arguments that can take that away from you. The word of God is the final word in all pretense and arguments that the enemy would put up against you. We're going to come back to something like that, something about that in a minute. Decision is not an emotion. Let me talk about this North Star thing I alluded to earlier. I got I to gotta thank John Rogers for helping me on this during sermon prep because I, I had a, a little bit wrong. Um, everybody know what the, the North Star is? If you don't, it's a star called Polaris, and it's somewhere over in there all the time. In fact, it's there so consistently that the early explorers used Polaris as a guide, and they would take a sextant, and they would take a, a shot of Polaris, and you know, they, they, this little protractor thing, I don't know if you've seen a sextant, very complicated looking instrument. Very sophisticated for its time. But by using that and bringing it down to the horizon, they could figure out on a map where they are. Now, they can't see any land, but Polaris is there. And so they would take, a, a, they would take a, a reading today or tonight, and then they would take another one tomorrow night. And they would put that dot 
on the map. And then they draw a line between the two, and now they know what direction they're going. But is it the direction they want to go in? So if you know the direction you want to go in, and that line that you've just drawn doesn't go to where you're going, you've got to make a change. You've got to make a course correction. You have to make an adjustment. Because the destination is not going to be reached if we keep going the direction we are. So how is God's word an important part of this? Well, let's read something from Philippians 4, 8 and 9, the whatevers. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. Now, does it say, it says, whatever you have learned, go ahead, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen of me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, it says, think about such things. Does it say anything about wait until that thought comes into your mind? No. Thoughts are intentional. Thoughts are active, not passive. We choose to think. And so we're, we're instructed through God's word here, the word think about such things. In other words, think about these things on purpose not by accident. How is this a North Star? Because anything that puts itself up against that is not a, a, the whatever that we read in the Bible. Whatever is a lie, whatever is evil, whatever, that's not it, is it? 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, we take captive. You, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Thoughts are not an accident. They are intentional. So how, application, if I'm gonna take a thought captive, and it puts itself up against Philippians that we read, then I'm gonna take it captive. Whatever is evil, think about no, that's not what my word, that's not what the word I have in my Bible, that's not the word God gave me. I'm taking that captive. I'm not gonna think about that because I'm going to think about what God tells me to think about. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna think about things that are holy and righteous and pure, admirable. I'm thinking about those things that are making my life closer to what God is doing in me. I'm making adjustments, course corrections. I'm following my North Star. I'm moving in the direction that God wants me to move in so I can be a part of his plan, not a part of Derek's plan. If Derek's walking this way, I'm going to walk off the edge, literally. Has anybody here ever made a bad decision? I think some people said yes. Yeah. Anybody ever have any regret over something you did and wish you hadn't have done? Yes, I have too. Oh boy. Um, so would you want those things that you're thinking of written on the headlines of tomorrow's paper? No, that's right. Because they're so bad. But you know, God redeems those things. That's why we get that North Star thing going on. Because... Okay, what I did then didn't line up with the word of God, 
but now I have revelation. I have insight. God's Spirit has told me where I went wrong. So you know what I'm doing? I'm repenting and going this way. Amen? Rich stuff, huh? Adjustments, crisis of belief. Once we understand the change that God wants us to make, he helps us to know what to do. Our part is to obey. You could say follow. You could say comply. You could say go in line with. But the word is obey. And it's not, again, see, we've given God a bad rap. We think obedience means we're going to get spanked if we don't follow and if we're not obedient. We're going to get squashed like a bug if we're not obedient. That is not what God is saying. That's from the world. That's from the devil. He doesn't want you to follow God. Obedience means lavishly experiencing the full measure and presence of the Holy Spirit working in and through you in such a way that other people are attracted to the kingdom of God because they want what they see in you. I can give you lots of examples about that, but I don't. time's too short. That's another day. Here's an example. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not seek dishonor to dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, where there, they will cease, where there are tongues. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, that, that's actually, it, it appears four, uh, twice in 1 John 4, I believe it's uh, 8 and 16. God is love. So if you take God as love, this came up yesterday in altar. Uh, Keith Garvin read it. If you... If you change, exchange the word God for the word love because God is love, it's easy to see that God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud, God is not rude, He is not self-seeking, God is not easily angered, He keeps no record of wrongs, God does not delight in the evil but rejoices in the truth, he always protects, God always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres, God never fails. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Well, if we believe it, then how do, we, how, do we, how do we put that in our life? How do we make this relevant? How do we make this applicable? How, I don't, the last thing any pastor, any preacher, any person that gives a message has the privilege of standing in front of a fine group of saints like you guys. The last thing we want is for you to leave and wonder, okay, I know what to do, but I don't know how. Okay? So I'm going to give you a quick story, and I've cleared this with my wife because it's fairly personal in some levels. But it's the best example, and God gave it to me in preparation for this. 
I like, uh, you know, Neil says he, he doesn't want to be the star of his own message. Well, I don't either. So this is not about me. This is about our daughter, Hannah. Now, some of you may know she died in a car accident in 2009 at age of 17. Uh, about a year before that, she, uh, she went to Emmanuel Christian Academy and she was in the sports program. And so the athletes went on a retreat. And, uh, you know, a weekend retreat. Well, when she got home, normally when kids come home from a camp or from retreat or something like that, you know, it's, oh, give me some real food. Or, you know, or they crash. They, they just go to bed because they're so tired. They stayed up so late. Excuse me. She came home in crisis. She had a crisis of faith. Distressed, tearful, anxiety. Edie and I are trying to figure out what it is. No idea. Come to find out, she had told us that she needed to call her boyfriend and break up. What? You came back from a retreat with this? What? What? Well, now her boyfriend is a great guy. I'd tell you what he's doing right now, but I don't, I don't want to be a spoiler. It's not about him anyway, but he's a great guy. This had nothing to do with him. That had nothing at all. He had done nothing wrong. When it happened, and Edie told me this, I didn't even know this part until I was asking her if this would be okay to share. At, during, at, this retreat, at this retreat, Hannah saw other young men praising God, worshiping God, weeping for God, pressing into God, laying prostrate perhaps even before God. And she wanted that in her life. And she didn't see it in her boyfriend. And she didn't want that to detract or deter or inhibit her seeking God. So she broke up with him. Was that an adjustment? Was that a decision? Was that a change? But she said, I know God is doing this. I know God wants me to do this. And so she did. Did she have to? She could have not said a word. She didn't even have to let her mom and I know what was going on. We may never have found out if she hadn't have experienced and responded to God's calling and include us in her personal crisis of faith. I believe the Lord's working on us right now. Thank you, Lord. There's one last adjustment we haven't talked about. What about the dry desert seasons? Those are adjustments too. Those are the times when we think God should be moving and he's not. 
These are the times when we prayed the prayer of faith and nothing's changed. These are the times when we've done everything we know to do. We've been as obedient as we know to be. We've been on our knees. We've been fasting. We've done all the do's. And nothing's moving. When Jesus walked by the fig tree and looked for fruit, I heard this this morning. Lord just brought it back. Good example. He cursed the tree. He said, let no man eat fruit of you again forever. But when the apostles saw the tree, it didn't change when he said that. It still was the tree. It still had the leaves. But when they left and went into the town and came back, it was withered from the roots. Part of our adjustments are waiting for the roots to dry up in the bad stuff in our life or the changes that need to be made. Their presence may still be affecting us in some way or another, but they're dead. Once we speak to that matter in faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a done deal. Why? We have the mind of Christ. Why? Because we've got that North Star. Why? Because we speak the word of God. Why? Because we have the authority in Jesus' name. It's a done deal. Do we believe that God will do what he says he'll do? Do we believe he's... Do we believe that he is who he says he is? The Alpha and the Omega? Yes, we do. Greater things than these will you do in my name because I am going to the Father. Didn't Jesus say those words? If, you, if you've read them, I know you know it. So the, so the Spirit of God gives us the mind of Christ. So even when I don't see change, when I think there should be change, it doesn't mean change isn't happening. It just means I can't see it in the natural. It's happening in the supernatural What by faith. Now I bet you that, if, I'll ask this question, I bet you there'll be a hand for everybody that's in here that goes up. Has God ever moved on your behalf when you didn't expect it or at a time that you didn't think it was going to happen? Absolutely has happened to me. I can testify and so can my wife. And many people here I know have had a move of God when they've said something, prayed something, pressed in, and then God says, bam, here I am. Okay, crisis of faith, number two. Is, is God really gonna do this thing? So I want to invite our ministry team to come forward Let's go ahead and, and, and ease on up. And we're going to do things maybe just a little different today because I believe that the Lord has moved on the hearts of some folks here, perhaps. Not because God is asking you to do something huge, but he's asking you to do something that's hard. Not because he's asking you to prove something, but that he's asking you to join him. Not that he's asking you to do something in public, but he's asking that to do something in private. After I told that story about Hannah, it was mighty quiet in this room. And I really do believe that God was working on the hearts of many of us. So if we could go ahead and, uh, Wes, we're going to do that little music in the background. Was that a thing? Good. So we don't normally do a lot of altar calls here necessarily. And this isn't necessarily your altar call to come up to receive Jesus Christ, but there can be. But we want to offer and afford the last 
few minutes of our time today, giving you an, an opportunity. Let's all stand if we would. And I'd like, to, I'd like to pray with and for us and invite you. Now, this is an individual thing, but to invite you to come forward as a physical response of a spiritual movement, ask, condition, need in your life. Father God, I thank you that you've been here today and are here and continue to dwell among us wherever two or more are gathered. I trust, Lord, by your spirit that you truly have fulfilled the purpose for today's message in the hearts and lives of those that are here among us and those who in the future will be listening. I ask, Lord, that you would impart to them that courage of faith that demonstrates a response to make those changes and adjustments, those decisions that maybe have been felt or heard for the first time today or maybe have been lingering through the course of time here recently. Maybe it's something even bigger than that, Lord. I, I don't know the hearts, but Lord, I know that you're such a gracious God I know, Lord, you love us so much. I know, Lord, that you wouldn't beat down the doors of our heart, but that you would find pleasure when we respond to you in these matters that we've avoided or run from and say yes. And we thank you, Father, that even in these minutes, your precious, precious touch is ministering to our hearts, bringing us to a fuller understanding of not only who you are, but what we are to you. I thank you, Lord, and ask that your, that your spirit would bless and confirm for each person's decision that it's not only the right thing to do, but it is unequivocally the best thing to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.